You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. My name is Riz, pastor here at Reality Honolulu. If I haven't met you, please come and introduce yourself. Love to uh, get to know you, but so thankful to worship with you this morning and and, uh, get into God's word. Some fun, exciting stuff coming up. So uh, feel free to always, like if you're into Instagram or Facebook, that's a great way to like keep updated also of like what's going on in the church. Um, But without further ado, we're going to get into the word of God. And so why don't you turn with me. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. So if you have been with us or not, what we do, how we, how we go about a Sunday morning and teaching the Bible is we go verse by verse, expository teaching, just kind of like slowly digging into what God has. So we've been in the book of Philippians for uh, several months now, and we're just almost halfway through, if that gives you a gauge on... Four chapters has taken us about six months is what we're doing. So uh, we're not super fast, but we just really desire to soak in and dig into all that God has. Uh, I'll be teaching out of the NIV, so if you don't have one, you can share it with someone next to you. There's Bibles in the back always you can grab, or we have it on PowerPoint. But uh, let's go ahead and read Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30, ending off chapter 2, and then we'll pray. Paul speaking. He says, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on, uh, only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to give up for the, the, uh, for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for where you have us in your word this morning. God, we trust that you want to speak to us through it. That's why you've preserved it and written it for us. We, we, we receive it and we gladly study it as your word, as God breathed and God inspired. And we gather because we want to hear from you. And so Holy Spirit, would you, would you speak, would you communicate, would you reveal to us what you want us to see this morning? God, would you soften our hearts to receive it? We want to have fertile soil, so to speak, of our hearts. We want your word to go in and plant itself and produce 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit. And so, God, would you free us from distractions and the cares of the world and the worries and the, the stuff, the other stuff that we have going on in our lives. We just dedicate, we give you this time, and we ask that you'd have your way. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been with us, specifically last week, we're right in the middle of Paul's letter. And what he's been doing for the majority of chapter two, and he actually started in chapter one, is he's kind of digging into as Christians, as followers of Christ, a part of like a faith community. Remember, he's speaking to this church in the city of Philippi. 
hence Philippians. This is a letter written to a certain group of people at a certain time. And what he's been doing for the majority of chapter 2, and it started in verse 27 of chapter 1, is he's talking about Christian conduct, how you should act and react, how your life's supposed to be. And specifically, there's been some themes. He's always used Jesus Christ as the example. He refers to him famously in, you know, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. He describes Christ's humility and how we're supposed to model that. Talked about humility, talked about unity, talked about care between one another, talked about joy, which we'll see next week. But Paul begins to hone in on these two guys, Timothy and today Epaphroditus. And what I believe that we can gain from, from hearing about them is they're more or less like case studies. Paul gives these big ethereal like do's and don'ts and what we're supposed to look like and how our lives are supposed to look. And then he, and then he brings up these two guys. And we can see from their life, from the way in which they served the Lord and loved the Lord and which they did, that we can use them as case studies of what it truly means to be faithful and trustworthy servants of Christ, what, what true and faithful servants of Christ might look like. And last week, we looked at Timothy. Timothy was like Paul's son in the faith. And we know kind of a lot about Timothy because we've seen him in the book of Acts and First and Second Timothy are letters that Paul has written to him. But we, we looked at some specific elements and we drew out those elements of Timothy's life, how he was humble, available, teachable, and spirit-filled. And we applied and we looked at, you know, his life in a mirror, so to speak, to our own. Are we those things? How, how are we doing? How, how, how are we praying and acting in these areas? And this week, we see this other guy, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. I know, it's kind of a funny name. It's not Timothy. It's not super easy. But both of these guys are in Rome with Paul. And if we knew a lot about Timothy, we literally know almost nothing about Epaphroditus. Our, our section today, these like five verses, and we see him just in one verse in chapter four of Philippians. That's it. We don't know much about him, and uh, I'll be honest, there's probably never been a sermon just about him. It's always lumped in with Timothy. He's always just lumped in as the other guy, and so we're going to attempt to do a whole sermon about Epaphroditus knowing almost nothing about him. So stick with me. But what we'll see here, and the reason why I want to do this is that Paul tells the Philippians that Epaphroditus, you should receive him with great joy, and he is the type of person you should honor. That's, that's something to note. Paul just doesn't say that about many people. If you know anything about Paul, he's kind of the man. Like, he's the one that's been going for it and pioneering and God's been using. And, and if there's anyone to boast, it would be Paul. But here, this, this kind of unknown, real quick character, Epaphroditus, Paul says, in the manner in which he served Christ is worthy of honor. And so I think he's worthy of a sermon. Amen? It's worthy of it. So honor him by giving him a sermon. There you go, Epaphroditus. There, but here's the deal. There's three special relationships that Paul mentions here. Right? Look what he says. Verse 25. I think it's necessary to send you back Epaphroditus. And he says, my brother, co-worker, and soldier. 
right? Brother would speak of a relationship that he's enjoyed, that we've, we're a family of Christ, that, that this is a family to do our father's business, that we're brothers in the Lord. This is a relationship that he's enjoyed. This idea of worker speaks of a job or a task that, that needed to be done, that they were doing together. They were serving the Lord, and they were given a job and a task to do, and they were, they were co-laborers. They were laboring together in, in furthering the gospel. But then he uses this language of, a, of soldier. He says he's been a soldier, and this just speaks of a battle that's been fought. And we know in, in part why Epaphroditus is even there. Right? The only other time we see him is, is Philippians 4.18. And, and it talks about that Epaphroditus brought a gift of financial support from the Philippians to Paul. And Paul alludes to that. Paul is thanking them and he's alluding to the fact that Epaphroditus was sent from Philippi to Rome to care for Paul. Specifically with financial support, but also with emotional support, I'm sure. But he came to support and be there for Paul. But it's really interesting the way in which Paul spoke of him. It wasn't like Timothy. If you, if you read Timothy and the way he speaks about Timothy, it's not as strong. The way he speaks of Epaphroditus is very much this soldier-esque type of language. He speaks about duty. He speaks about commitment. He speaks about honor. And I believe there's something to that. right? His Epaphroditus was obedient to what God called him to, and in the way in which he served was God-glorifying. It was a God-glorifying lifestyle that warranted Paul's approval as one that the church should honor, right? He was my brother. He loved me as a brother. He served me as a co-laborer, and he fought the good fight with me. Paul used that same language at the end of his life. Right? He said, I've, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've ran the, face, uh, excuse me, I've ran the race, and I've kept the faith. Paul knew he was in a battle. He was in a spiritual battle. He was waging war against the schemes of the enemy and the powers of darkness. Right? There's so much of that. We know that, that our Christian walk, our obedience to Christ is a battle. We're battling against the flesh. We're battling against the devil. There's opposition against what God wants to do in our lives and in the world. And especially when the gospel is going forth where it has not been heard before. Right? Where the devil has blinded entire people. Where they are unaware of the truth. There is opposition that comes with that. And so there's a battle that they fought together. And the way in which Epaphroditus has lived and loved and fought is something of note, Paul says. It's something to honor. Literally, it means that we should hold such men in esteem or high regard. People that serve the Lord in the same way Epaphroditus did should be something that we hold in high esteem. It's something that we should take care, uh, like careful note of. Epaphroditus' life and his service is supposed to be a model for us as well, how we ought to live and love and serve Christ. The manner in which he did so is something that we should strive for. And again, we don't know much about him, but we know enough. Is first off, 
He was sent on a mission. God had called him out of his comfort zone, out of his hometown, most likely of Philippi, traveled a pretty far distance to Rome. God had called him to do this. Yes, he was sent by the church there, but it was something that God was leading and calling him to, and he was called to Paul. He wasn't called to start a church. He wasn't called to do a bunch of different things. He had one mission, and it was actually to one person. It was to Paul. Epaphroditus was obeying his calling to come alongside Paul to care, support, and be there for him. That is something to know. As as simple as that is, Epaphroditus was an obedient servant. And secondly, in his obedience, he was willing to lay down his comfort and convenience for his service. The, the, the main subject here is how sick he got. Like, that's the whole point. This is the, this is the point here that Paul is saying is, I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you because he's really sick. You've heard about him. You're actually worried about him. And God spared him. He's had mercy on him, and he's okay now. We're going to send him back to you. It would have been really bad if he had not been well. Paul said it would have been sorrow upon sorrow. Timothy, or, excuse me, Epaphroditus is loved. He's a brother that they care about, and it's cost him. Like, it has cost him to go on this mission. This is not a short mission. This would have taken, like, months of traveling. It would have been hard. It would have been unknown. I mean, Paul's in prison at the time for the gospel, and Epaphroditus is coming alongside to care for Paul. It's kind of like a risky move. It's hard on him. He gets sick. He gets so sick that he almost dies, Paul said. And despite that, I believe the reason why there's soldier-type language here, that, that, that Epaphroditus has served like a soldier to me, is that he's had to get the job done at all costs. He hasn't been able to just get out when it's inconvenient or If the mission wasn't done, he wasn't done. And what we see is that is exactly the type of person with the type of character Epaphroditus was. He was willing to obey God despite the consequences. And especially when it was uncomfortable and inconvenient. I think so many times, especially like if you've been in the church... We get so caught up with like ministries and positions. Like like everything's got to have a ministry or everything has to have a position or I have to have a title in order to serve the Lord in the church. And again, ministries and titles and stuff are supposed to be in place to make it helpful and structured and just so it's not organic and chaotic. There's nothing bad about those things. But I think sometimes what it can do is that we can overlook like, like the one person that we're called to. Or the one people, or you know, the one group of people, or, or our neighbor, or our coworker. Because many times in scripture, if you look at church history, if you look at our own lives, so many times God calls specific people to other specific people. Right? You don't, you don't see in the New Testament God calling Timothy to the men's ministry. That's, that's fine. He ministered to men. We just don't see that. Or we have to have, you know, like the, the women of the Bible weren't necessarily called to like start a Thursday morning women's Bible study. 
They did that, might look differently, but so often we compartmentalize things in our life in the church and we fail to remember that what God does is he calls people to other people. Ministries and categories and stuff in the church. The church is about people. God is about people, not about numbers and not about programs. He uses those as a, way, as a way of structure and maybe, you know, more fruitfulness. But what I want to do is I want to be reminded this morning that Epaphroditus was called to one person. And Paul said the way in which he did that was something of honor. Because I think so often, right, we think, well, fruitfulness is like mass effectiveness. Unless I'm like affecting a lot of people or there's like a platform in which I'm doing it, that's the only way in which I'm fruitful. That is not true in God's economy, in God's kingdom. I've experienced this over and over and over. God has never called me to like a program or a ministry or even a place. He's always called me to a certain person or certain people group. It's what he's always done. I mean, it started when I myself was in high school and I graduated high school and I really felt really called to the kids that were like the underclassmen right below me. I was called to them. It didn't matter where they were, it was those kids. Then I, you know, kept doing youth ministry and I was at a, a, a one church, but God called me to another city to a specific group of kids. Like there's a specific group of kids that I felt like God wanted me to minister to. And he called me to that group of kids. And over the years, even like God leading us here, the way in which he did so is literally a long story, which you can totally ask me about, or I'll send you the link to the sermon I told it. <laughs> but it, it wasn't necessarily Honolulu or Hawaii. It was the people that call this place home. It was the single person. It was that family. It was the people that called, it was the people. It was the one person, the two, it was the people here. It wasn't necessarily the ministry. It wasn't necessarily even like the church. It was the people. And if there's anything that I've been so thankful for over the last two years, you know what? I came from a, a, a pretty large reality. And a lot of the realities are, are large churches. Nothing to say that that's bad. But when you're a pastor on staff of a large church, all of a sudden, you're trying to just manage it, right? Manage the programs, man, manage the stuff. And then all of a sudden, it's real easy to forget, what is this about? What is this about? I know that it might be strange to you. It's really not. What is this about? It's about people. God loves people. The church is about people. And that's the beauty for us coming and starting new, uh, a, a new, fresh work and God seeing like you guys. This is the church. It's family, it's community, it's relationships under the lordship of Christ. But we're a family, we're an ohana together. What I wanna do is I wanna, ch I wanna challenge us as a church, challenge you, challenge me, to pray and ask God, like, God, who are you calling me to? Some, sometimes that's obvious. Like, if you're married, call to your spouse. 
called to love them and care for them, pray for them. If you've got kids, that's obvious. That's who you're called to. But that doesn't mean that it just stops there. Or if you don't have a spouse and kids, that, then you got, you know, there's more people to love and care for. Sometimes it's obvious who we should love and care and we're called to. But sometimes, if we look at scripture, if we look at church history, I believe that God specifically highlights people and persons and certain families and certain groups of people for us to love and care for. What I want to challenge us this morning is to pray, like in your workplace, God, who do you want me, who, who are you calling me to, to, to extra love and extra pray for and go out of my way to be Jesus to? Because, right, job is busy, there's a lot going on, there's a lot of people, oh, I'm just going to be a Christian here, which is fine. But I believe that God is an intentional and a strategic God, and he's placed you in your workplace for a certain reason. I want to challenge you to pray, God, who is it that you want me, that I'm called to love more? Neighbors, we all got them. Sometimes they're a little closer than others, depending on your living situation. Have you prayed, God, okay, I have all these neighbors, and yeah, I see so-and-so when they open the door or when they get the mail or they take out the the trash cans, and I say hi, or sometimes we invite them over to dinner, but are there certain neighbors that God wants you to, like, dedicate, like, this season to pray for? Have we asked this question is what I'm getting at. Have you asked, God, who are you calling me to love and care for more than someone else? There's anything you know, the older you get, your time and your resources become more limited. You don't have all the time in the world. You can't just do anything. Right, more responsibility, which is fine, which is there's blessings in it. But your time is limited. And I believe that God being a strategic, intentional God wants to highlight people in our lives that we're called to love and care for. I think he's a master strategist. I don't think God is haphazard in anything he does. I think he knows everyone. He's intimately acquainted with all their ways. And he desires to use us believers as his sons and daughters for the furthering of his kingdom in the world. Because here's the deal. The way in which the world experiences the love of God is through his people. Who is that? As us. That's like, that's like the mantle that we have. Like that's the responsibility that we have. It's a beautiful one. If you're reminded, like, the, the mantle has been passed, like, from the disciples to us. Like, through the generations, believers have evangelized and ministered and gone to the world, and now it's our turn, along with every other believer in the world, but it, it, it's ours. Like, the means by which God shows the love of Christ to the world is us. You guys know that? It's us. We're the ones that carry the good news of Jesus Christ. And I strongly believe that God wants to call our church to minister and care for specific groups of people in specific regions in the world. I believe strongly that he wants us to do that here. Absolutely. Call all of us specifically to people around us at our jobs, with our neighbors. But also, I believe that God wants to stir up and call us to reach certain people groups in the world, specifically 
that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, i.e. unreached. You guys have, if you've been here for any time, um, especially this summer, you guys have heard this, this, this call, this burden on us as a church. We feel really called to the region in which we live, meaning like Oceania, the whole Pacific, no big deal, the whole ocean, and everyone that lives there, and Asia, not a big deal either, no problem, just half the world's population and half the world's surface. That doesn't mean that God won't, will cha won't change that, right? Like, doesn't mean that he cares any less about Europe or Africa or South America or anything like that. But we, as a church, as Reality Honolulu, feel called to partner with God as co-laborers to reach the South Pacific, or just the Pacific in general, and all of Asia. Does that mean that we're supposed to solely do it? No, we're partnering with believers around the world to go and do this. I, and I believe that God is going to call some in this room to go. Like to, to, to move, to count the costs, just like Timothy, just like Epaphroditus, to leave their hometown, to say yes to God, to be obedient, to count the cost to do so. I believe that, I believe that, I believe that this year, God is going to do that, highlight some families in our church to go. And I believe the rest of us are called to support. There's no in-between. You either go or you support. Not everybody's supposed to go and not everybody's supposed to stay. But all of us equally as important and necessary for the furthering of the kingdom of God. I personally feel called um, to be the hype man. As you guys know from the amount of movement of my arms, you could probably guess that already. But God has like wired and called me, and, I, and I, I, I feel that I'm supposed to like lead the charge in this, to mobilize, to train, to equip, like to send us out. And I'll gladly be your hype man. I'll gladly do that. And, and you, you guys know, if you don't know me, it's, it's, I'm not faking it. It's just who God's made me to be is like, I'm this guy. Like, hey, come on. Like, let, let's do this together. But let's do this as a family. But then let's go. Let's go over there. That's like always in any group how God's made me. Like, let's do that. Let's go here. Let's, like, come on. By no means on my own, but I, I feel that as reality Honolulu, we're to be like a rich, vibrant faith family. Like we really are, like, like rich, like come on, like be a part of what God is doing. He's so good, like come be a part of this ohana. But also, I believe that we're supposed to be that rich, vibrant, gospel-centered family that follows our father into what he's about. Like I believe that as a family, we're supposed to be about our father's business. And our father's business is to go to the farthest spots on the earth to let the whole world know of Christ. Right? That, that's our family. That's, that's, that's our family. That's what we're supposed to be a part of. What's important to our father is supposed to be important to us. And so as a pastor, right, my calling would be in Ephesians to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's, my, that's, that's what I'm attempting to be obedient to. That's what I feel called to. But my question would be is, what do you feel called to? 
And I'm not saying called to like an office or a title. Don't hear me wrong. But who are you called to? Who are you called to? I feel like in this part of my life, I've kind of discerned like the who. It's you guys. It's here. It's Hawaii. And again, I don't want to like stress you out here and like put this burden on you. Like you got to discern God's will. Who is it? I don't want to put that on you, but my prayer and my desire and even bringing this up is that we would live into the fullness of God's plans for us, that we wouldn't miss out, that we would know his will, we'd be obedient to his will, and we'd partner in what he's doing. And so it can start as easy as this, just being open to ask God that question, because here's the deal. Sometimes we don't want to pray certain prayers because we don't want God to answer in a certain way. Think about it. So I'm talking about like leaving Hawaii as home. That's unbelievable. And then go to some place else you don't know, with people you don't know, that's probably going to be hard and you need to count the costs. Who wants to pray that prayer? That is a prayer that nobody wants to pray. Because it's almost like we're just walking by God. Like, God, I'll minister to the coworker. I'll do this. Yep, I'll give here. No problem. But please, God, don't call me away from this island. Maybe you want to go. Maybe you should pray more then. But a lot of times it starts with praying the prayer that we don't want to. This is the prayer. God, my life is no longer my own. It's hidden with Christ. God, what do you have for me? What are you calling me to? God, if you want me to go, I'll go. Show me. That's scary, right? But that is the type of character that we see here in Epaphroditus and in Timothy and Paul. It started with a willing obedience and then it was obedience and faithfulness despite the cost. And most of the time, you know, for a lot of us, God, God won't call us to, like, the ends of the earth. He won't do that. But that's because we're not all supposed to go. But where it can start is, like, the little things, the small things. We can start with our families. We can start with our jobs, we can start with our neighbors, we can start with the people in our lives. God, who are you calling me to? And once you, you show me and lead me and speak to me in that way, help me to be obedient, to be faithful, to love that person, to pray for that person, despite the cost and despite it being uncomfortable. And guys, I pray for more Pauls and Timothys and Epaphroditus's in our church to rise up. This is what's neat about these examples, the Pauls and the Epaphroditus's and the Timothys. They were all really different. It wasn't like they put, took a personality test or an Enneagram or whatever. It was like, dude, you're the guy. Yep, your type of personality or you're the woman just for the job. They were all really different. They had different personalities. They had different strengths and different weaknesses. Some were pioneers. Some were leaders. Some were supporters. Some were like not the front guy at all. The Timothy and the Epaphroditus were supporters. 
But what they had in common, what all these guys had in common was a, a, a willingness to obey Christ regardless of the costs. They didn't, they didn't weigh the options. They didn't say no. They didn't say it's going to be too hard or the what ifs or it's not going to work out or what about my family or how much money or what about my comforts. They said yes to God. In God's economy, a lifestyle lived in this way is one worthy of honor. Man, we, we have it so good in America. Yeah, I know we're not perfect. I know there's tons of problems and issues right now, and we may think it's like the worst. But comparatively, we have so many freedoms, and there's so much stuff that we have that's unbelievable. That's great, and it's a blessing. We should be thankful for it. But what happens is we get so we can get so caught up with comfort and what we feel like we need in life, what we feel like we want. For me, it's like a cup of coffee. Got to have it. Simple as that. But for all of us, the reason why we don't want to be this, that we struggle with willingness, that we struggle with praying this, is because we're holding so tight to comfort. We're holding so tight to a way of life. And again, those things might not be bad things that we're talking about, but you're making them maybe more important to Christ than Christ. It's called an idol. We think of an idol as like a, a little thing that's like, you know, on the counter or something we worship, but an idol is anything that we make to be in the place of God or we make greater than God or we, we want to hold on, hold, hold on more than God. My hope and my prayer is that we would examine our hearts. We'd say, God, search up my heart. Make me willing to do anything despite those things. Let me give up those things that are lesser and follow you. Let me deny myself and take up my cross. And the reason why we would do something like this, the reason why we would live a life of inconvenience and that would cost us and that wouldn't be comfortable is that this is rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in what Christ did. He left heaven. He came to earth to an unreached people. And he lived amongst them. For the sake of them knowing him. And he for sure counted the costs. And it was really uncomfortable. And it was really inconvenient. And he ultimately suffered and died for the people in Israel and of the world. Our motivation in any of this has to be in the gospel. It can't just be, you heard a sermon on Sunday and Riz told me I gotta go. It has to be rooted in what Christ did for us and who God is to us. And as disciples, the disciple has a Lord, has a master, has a teacher. We follow Christ. And we participate in what started on the cross. We show the world the love of Christ because we're ambassadors, because we're witnesses, because we're the hands and feet of Jesus. And to give you, to end here and to give you a model prayer, a model prayer to pray would be what Jesus prayed to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. On the eve of the cross, on the eve of him dying, a brutal death on behalf of humanity, 
He prayed to his father three times in the garden. If there's any chance this cup can pass for me, but not my will, but your will be done. If there's any way that this can be different, that I don't have to do this. But again, God, not my will, but your will be done. Church, if there's something that always needs to be at the forefront of our prayers, in the morning, when you're driving with your family, when you're trying to make a decision, when I've just prompted you to pray, God, who and what and where are you calling me to? The prayer has to be where we need to get to is God, despite all that I want and I struggle and all my concerns, not my will, but your will be done. Church, can we do that? Can we pray that prayer? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you that you invite us in to the furthering of your kingdom. God, that is, that is such a privilege and an honor that you would desire to use us to communicate to others around us the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would let go of the things that we're holding too tight to. God, help us to let go of comfort and convenience and all the what-ifs and help us to be a people that are willing to pray that prayer. God, what is it that you have for me? Who and where are you calling me to? God, would you give us ears to hear also? To listen, to wait, to be still? Help us to discern who it is that you're calling us to by the power of your spirit. But Father, I pray that it would start in our hearts, that the deep root of our hearts, that we would be willing to count the costs in obedience. Because it's you, our Father, that is perfect, we know that anything that you ask of us is gonna be good going to be the best. It's going to be perfect. Help us to believe that also. God, we want to worship you now for who you are and what you've done.